We're joined now by Royal Commentator Angela Mollard, who has been keeping a very close eye on what has been a very busy weekend of developments. Morning to you, Ange. Good morning. Now, Camilla has given this interview uh, where she talks a lot about Queen Elizabeth, uh, giving us a rare insight into the relationship between the two. Uh, here's a little bit of what Camilla had to say. Got those wonderful blue eyes that when she smiles, you know, they light up her whole face. I'll always remember that smile, you know, that smile is unforgettable. And there are going to be a lot of these interviews coming up now. This is where we really get to learn more about what was happening behind closed doors when it was the cup of tea or the gin and tonic. Yes. And we, we, we're going to learn more about her now. We are, and I think this is beautiful that uh, Camilla has spoken about this. It's mm. a very personal speech. It's the day before her funeral. She goes on to talk about the fact that the Queen was a solitary woman on the world stage. And these two did have a very close relationship as the years progressed. The Queen, of course, said at uh, the wedding of Charles and uh, Camilla that she gave the speech at the wedding and she said... Uh, that she was now so happy that her son was home with the woman he loves. Mm -hmm. And that relationship we'll learn a lot more about. They loved horses together. You mm -hmm. know, the Queen laughed on the day of her wedding when Camilla ended up putting two shoes of different heights on. <laughs> so, you know, there's all these stories. And of course, Camilla's done a one wonders this week, doing it all with a broken toe, as we learned last, late last mm -hmm. week. I think that the Camilla story is really interesting. She was once the most hated woman in Britain. And you see her now, and she's clearly a great foil to King Charles. Uh, you know, they are still in love. And we've also heard a former aide mm. to Charles and Camilla speak out. To your initial point, I was outside the Ritz the very first night that they were presented to the public as a couple in 1999. Right. So was, they'd been to a party for Camilla's sister and their nerves, their rictus faces, and everyone at the... I mean, there were hundreds of uh, photographers and journalists, and we all said she will never be queen. Now, obviously, in, uh, in over the course of two decades, people adore her and what her um, communications secretary who only quit last year has come out and said is how she is such a force behind the new monarch that he doesn't make any decisions without talking to her and what she is and I thought this was an excellent point by him was that she is a sort of intermediary between the mm. bubble of the royal family and the public she understands what it is to be just a normal member of the public and she you know she encourages him to dance at tea dances when they were visiting Cuba she said let yeah let's go in that open top car and she very much wants and will make his experience of being a monarch fun, light, entertaining, warm and she has that connection obviously the, with people. Uh, the other thing that, that I think is extraordinary is she did have that relationship with, with the press where the, the press were out to get her absolutely and yet she is widely known and the most loved amongst many of the reporters and the photographers. They say that she's the most relaxed, the most fun. Well, mm. they actually, Julian Payne says she should have been a journalist because she's so good at chatting yeah. to people. She's really curious. She always, when they're on a royal tour, she, at the end, she'll go on the plane, because all, all the journalists go on the plane back to London, and she always goes and chats to them. But, yeah, she brings that humour and that warmth and that lightness. And, I mean, the media in Britain in late 90s, and I was part of that, they couldn't have loathed her more, yeah. and that she. And, but there has been no operation, Kimmela. He. This is what he says. He said there was no instructions. She has just day by day, month by month, Chipped year away. by year, yeah. just done the job, yeah. and the people have come around. Yeah. I love it that you say he won't make a decision without asking <laughs> her. So just a normal, normal relationship. relationship. Normal, normal, <laughs> normal relationship. Uh, all right. Let's talk about this amazing, this huge funeral plan. Mm. Uh, been confirmed that George and Charlotte will attend. Now we were talking about this off camera last week. Mm. To, to think. 
Should they be? Are they too young? Like, what, what do you think? Look, I think... Is it a surprise? I wrote yesterday in my column that nine is a very knowing age, and I think that is the right thing to do, and I think it's really interesting that it's both George and Charlotte. I think that's a deliberate decision, obviously, by um, Catherine and William, because what they want is for that relationship between George and Charlotte to be cemented and to be a relationship that Charles and Anne enjoy, not the relationship that we've now seen deteriorate mm. between William and Harry. So I mm. think having his sister there to, to, to help him through the understanding of his destiny is really important. So what we will see in the funeral, as we now know, is Kate and William first, Char uh, Charlotte and George behind them, and then Meghan and Harry behind them. Right. So that little foursome, very good choice not to take Louis, though. As we saw at the Jubilee, you do not want a four-year-old yes. at a funeral. Yes. I would love to see Louis <laughs> at the funeral. He would liven things up, wouldn't he? Uh -huh. uh, look, still on the new king, we've heard that he's got plans for Balmoral Estate. Mm. So Balmoral is actually owned by the royal family, along with Sandringham, as, as opposed to being part of the Crown Estates. There's talk now that he's going to open that to the public and that, that they will be able to visit as early, possibly, as next summer but in a way um, not just as a visit but that it, there will be a sort of um, exhibition to the Queen which I think I mean I would go there in a heartbeat yeah. Bal I'd love to see Balmoral it is obviously a very special place for the Queen and of course it makes a lot of money for the Royal it would make a lot of money um, there's a hundred million is made by these visits um, to Buckingham Palace and yeah. Windsor Castle and 500,000 uh, people go and visit Buckingham Palace itself um, it's also a really great draw card for Scotland and tourism there so I think it's a very smart move. And also everything now is about cementing the monarchy, being seen, getting connections with people. You assume that that must be happening at every level and on every decision. Well, I think it's about accessibility and relatability. If the Queen was deference and duty, this has to, this monarch, this new monarchy has to represent something else. And I, we saw because of William and, uh, and Charles stepping out unexpectedly, it's very much about them being accessible and opening another palace to the public is all about, as you say, Mon, cementing that. Airbnb opportunity? Oh, mm. wouldn't you love it? Wouldn't you? Why oh, would you? And that River you, D, and you've set up picnics, and... You'd mm. see, as soon as you've got that uh, four nights for the price of three, you'd just <laughs> You could jump. have your 30th there. I could have <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dress well, up like a king. And a shooting weekend. <laughs> yeah, fabulous. Now, we've seen a lot of the royal family uh, over the past ten days, mm. uh, a bit of movement uh, behind closed doors. Mm. So who's stepping up and who's stepping aside and who's stepping back? Well, we'll see Meghan and Harry stepping back, and we've seen that very clearly as you were just speaking like, about. Like officially? Like well, that, it has right? been official but I think yeah. what you can now see is the visibility of how that is now working. You are not invited to a, yes. a reception with dignitaries. But what we will see, and I think this is interesting, is more of Edward and Sophie and of course um, Anne. Now hmm. what I think was interesting about Edward and Sophie is because Edward is 58, he sort of um, he sort of is in that middle ground between the 70 year olds, Camilla and Charles and Anne, hmm. and 40 year olds of Catherine. So there's I think Charles is very sensibly thinking about continuity. They have not put a foot wrong, the Wessexes. You know, their children were obviously at, at the vigil. They will step much more into the spotlight. And we'll learn a lot more of what they do. And we'll be, I think their social media will increase. They'll push them forward so that we are actually taking attention away from Meghan and Harry. That will be very much Charles's intent. Because we haven't heard a lot from him, have we?
we? From who? Edward. Yes. Nothing. Well, we've had the, obviously the statement from Prince Andrew. Sorry, even when you said from who, I didn't no, even you're know his name. You're trying to remember yeah, which, which one. one. Yeah, yeah. He's the, the fourth one. child, you know the, the one, one she I mean, had right? last. We yeah. don't hear much from him. Well, we, we, he, he does a lot of work, though. Both of them do a lot of charity work. Yeah. And, of course, Sophie was very, very close to the Queen. When her daughter was born um, very much prematurely, Edward was out of the country, and the Queen was there by Sophie's bedside. Um, Lady mm. Louise, was, of course, was born with a squint in her eye and has had operations over the years. And so that really bonded the Queen mm. with um, with the Countess of Wessex. Yeah, I read an article from a journalist who has done a lot of work with them mm. and, and just says that they've actually been tolling away for years yes. and years and years. It's just that we never hear about never them and you can't even be bothered remembering their names. <laughs> um, thank you, Anne. <laughs>